Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Black Spur. I am joined alongside the two usual suspects. First, in the 757, we have a very happy, just happy to be here, just in a pleasant mood. We have Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you? Um, so I actually ran into a high school friend of mine today uh, when I was getting lunch after I got off work because today was an early day for me. And... Um, Sure enough, this friend of mine is taking online classes at Liberty, and the first thing that this friend mentioned to me was the football game from this past weekend. So as you can imagine, um, I'm over it, Chief. <laughs> I That I can completely understand. In Northern Virginia, we got Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's good, dog? Usually I say that these are a lot more fun to record after Tech wins. This one might be a little bit different. Oh, yeah. Folks, we're going to get into it. You know, it's, uh, you know what we're going to talk about. You're here for a reason, and you've come to the right place. But first, before you get all the hot takes that you desire, we got to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the kind of pharmacy that treats you as a neighbor rather than a number. If you want a pharmacy that will take some of their proceeds and make some much needed donations to the Hokie Club, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Our good friend, Dr. Jeremy Kent and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, sometimes they say that past is prologue. You have your old dominions, you have your dukes, but I don't know if it gets much more painful than the fact that Virginia Tech lost 38 to 35 at the hands of the Liberty Flames. We all know what happened in the game. Botched coaching decisions, botched punts, you know, botched pride <laughs> on our part. You know what? I've been waiting for this all day. Ricky LeBlue, I'll let you go first. Cold open. What do you think? Um, so it, it, if you recall, I was very uh, pitchforky after the 2019 Duke debacle uh, in which we all witnessed the worst home loss in the history of the program, bar none. Um, I'm a lot less pitchforky right now, but uh, I have kind of resided myself to the fact that Virginia Tech is stuck. And that's that's kind of even worse. Um just because from what we've seen over the last four plus seasons, um, 
I think we've gotten a pretty good idea as to what kind of program Justin Fuente is going to be able to build at Virginia Tech. Um, that program does not meet the standard that the fans have, that the former players have, that the donors have. Um, and that's a problem because Justin Fuente's success through years one and two, coupled with Virginia Tech's small budget, kind of forced Whit Babcock's hand early on in the process to lock Justin Fuente in for the foreseeable future. So let me take you back all the way to 2017. Um, and actually, th this would have been winter 2018. So the really right after the 2017 season, uh, Virginia Tech signed Justin Fuente to his second contract extension in two years, which is pretty rare. Uh, generally speaking, one contract extension is enough. But the feeling in the program and outside the program was that Justin Fuente was a damn good hire. Virginia Tech wanted to lock him in as much as possible. The problem with that is the buyout attached to this contract extension basically cemented Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech for the next several seasons. And the two are now in a marriage that it seems like neither one may be very happy in. Um, we all know that Justin Fuente flirted with Baylor before the season. Um, there are grumblings that some big dollar donors to the athletic, de uh, the athletic department are severely upset with the direction of the football program. The fan base in general is just flat out checked out. They, they're either A, super pissed off, or B, indifferent. And as a former Redskins fan, I can tell you, I know all about indifference, baby. <laughs> I have lived it personally. Uh, so Virginia Tech is, has found themselves in a really, really shitty situation. And we can go deeper into the game if we want, but to be quite honest, when you lose to Liberty, the, the actual statistics and, and the X's and O's of the game really don't matter. Uh, what matters is Virginia Tech lost once again as a double-digit favorite at home to a, a team that was easily the worst 6-0 team in the country. Um, and they did so in embarrassing and um, just knuckleheaded fashion. And it's another data point, and I keep bringing that phrase up, it's another data point against Justin Fuente being able to build a championship program in Blacksburg. So uh, I don't think that Justin Fuente is going to come back from this. I think this is going to be the tipping point. Um, again, that's not to say that Fuente is on his way out because he just isn't. The buyout has basically made that impossible. Um, if there are any Virginia Tech donors listening who make upwards of 50 to $100 million a year, your services may be required at the end of the season. Um, but truth be told, Virginia Tech is stuck with Justin Fuente at least through next season. Um, and it really wouldn't shock me if it ends up having to go past 2022 because um, we can dig deeper into these buyout numbers, but they're not good. I, I, I certainly agree with you, Ricky, with, with a lot of what you just said. I'll transition this towards Mike as well as, as I say it. I tweeted out on Saturday and I was in a very emotional state as one might figure. <laughs> and I said, 
The big winner of today in college football is Baylor. Boy, did they dodge a bullet. But in hindsight, I think that we can look at Fuente's potential to go to Baylor and, and think that that might have been the best solution for both parties. Now, we thought about it in a very short-sighted way at the time. It was late. It was January. Rule had just left and they had an opening and it would have put Virginia Tech in a very precarious spot in terms of trying to rebuild a program that late. However, I think that you could have split up there and said that Justin Fuente was a guy who had a run at Virginia Tech that started good and ended up kind of mediocre, that he landed in a better spot for him regionally in, in a, you know, a state that's better fit for him in a conference that's better fit for him. And Virginia Tech would have been able to build off the momentum of the end of their season and been able to start anew. However, here we are. And the fan base clearly isn't happy with Justin Fuente. And more importantly, like you said, Ricky, the big donors aren't happy with Justin Fuente. And when you're an investor, especially a big dollar investor like these people that fund this program, you're going to choose your investments wisely. And you're not going to go ahead and invest anywhere between 500000 and upwards of $5 million out of your individual pocket in a program whose leader you don't believe in, in a program whose leader you don't think can accomplish the goal that you have in spending that money. And we obviously, I, I, none of us have quabbles with Justin Fuente personally, by all indications, he's a good man who he wants to win and it would be in all of our best interests for him to win here too. We, I mean, all we care about is Virginia Tech success. But I think that the situation where you have potentially a lame duck head coach for a number of years where there's going to be hesitation on donors to invest into the program, there's going to be hesitation by, I mean, we know we talk about weaknesses in assistance and support staff and stuff like that. And no right-minded assistant is going to come work for a coach who has one arm trapped behind his back and, and is half one, you know, one foot out the door. <laughs> so ultimately, Mike, would you agree with at the trajectory of where this is going based on the expectation of the powers that be, based on the trajectory of, or maybe the pattern of what we've seen over the past few years. Do you think that cutting things off a little bit earlier might've been more beneficial for the program and probably for Justin Fuente as well? Yeah, there were a lot of good points made by both of you there. I'm gonna try to do my best to add on to it and answer that question, Andrew. Um, I, I do think, that Virginia Tech is obviously in a really difficult situation. And Ricky spoke about the contract extension that Justin Fuente was given. And the early returns of Fuente and Blacksburg were really good. He won 19 games in his first two years, obviously ACC championship in 2016 with Gerard Evans, damn near beat Clemson, um, a team that eventually went on to win the national championship. You, you win nine games in year two with a new quarterback after Gerard Evans surprisingly leaves the program for the NFL. And Josh Jackson had a largely successful uh, first year with, first year starting anyway with Virginia Tech. He'd been in the program a couple of years. 
Um, so things were looking good for Virginia Tech for a time at the beginning of the tenure. Given the way that the last two and a half years have gone, it's pretty clear at this point that this is a marriage heading for divorce. The problem that Virginia Tech has right now is that, like Ricky alluded to, they did extend the contract of Justin Fuente and the buyout numbers are large on that. And the structure of the buyout changes um, based on when a buyout would be initiated. But another obviously element of this that further complicates the matter is the fact that we are in the middle of a global pandemic. The athletic department is losing millions and millions and millions of dollars this year. Um, an, estimated Stewart, 50, an estimated $50 million loss. Yeah, I was going to say Will Stewart interviewed Whit Babcock recently on the Tech Sideline podcast, and he did estimate it to be around $50 million for this year, which is obviously only going to further complicate things. In my opinion, if this was not a COVID-19 impacted year, it, Virginia Tech would try to find the money for a buyout for Justin Fuente. I don't think it's feasible at this point in time that that happens. I think Virginia Tech and this is one man's opinion. I see you guys kind of shaking your head. So I, I believe you're in agreement as well. In my opinion, I think Virginia Tech will be tied to Justin Fuente through at least the end of the 2021 season. I think that's probably a pretty reasonable assumption at this point, given where Virginia Tech is at as an athletic department and college football as a whole, athletic departments across the country. You know, there are other, other coaches who are in a similar situation to Justin Fuente. And it's a question as to whether or not the schools are going to be able to pull the trigger. So that's one that that's the first part of this. The second part of this on a broader scale, and we can we can talk about the game a little bit in this podcast. But I think when you lose to Liberty, like Ricky said, there's only so much you can say. I agree. The fan base is totally checked out and the fan base should be checked out. Uh, Justin Fuente has been given ample opportunity to turn things around in Blacksburg. The program went six and seven in the 2018 season. It was the program's worst season since 1992. Transfers left in droves. People were defending Fuente, including myself. I was wrong. Ricky was wrong. Ricky's raising his hand. <laughs> we don't have a video element yeah, to this podcast yeah. at this point. Ricky's I, raising. As soon as I read that SI article, I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Yep. Um, and I was wrong. Ricky was wrong. Andrew, I know you were defending Fuente a bit as well during I that, was. During that I time. I was, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were, and we were wrong. Last year, Virginia Tech got off to a terrible start. We, everybody points to the Duke game. It started before that. They turned the ball over, what was it, six times against Boston College in the opener? I think Willis had four picks alone. Willis had four picks <laughs> it was, alone. It, it, it was anywhere from four to six. Neither yeah. of which is good. <laughs> so that was really – Picking hairs really, at that point, right? <laughs> exactly. So that was really, really bad in the opener last year. And Virginia Tech played a game against Furman. I was sitting next to Andrew in the press box for it. Virginia Tech fell behind 14 to three at the half. The, the fans, especially in the student section, obviously left the stadium at halftime. I took a picture of the North end zone and it was retweeted by Barstool Sports. That's how much attention was being given to the Virginia Tech football program and how bad they were. The following week, Virginia Tech has their worst home loss in a really, 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 really long time to a Duke team that did not make a bowl game. Sparking a drunk Herb, Kirk Herbstreit to question what's going on at Virginia Tech. 
Kirk Herbstreet had a drunk video in the back of a taxi <laughs> with the bear, and I, I believe uh, David Pollock was with him too. They were all in the back of a taxi, clearly had a few drinks, and they were all just kind of staring in awe at what they were witnessing in Blacksburg. It was the worst loss in school history, in my opinion. It was right up there, at least as far as games that took place at Lane Stadium. Virginia Tech makes a quarterback switch to Hendon Hooker. The season, in large part, went well the rest of the way, but Virginia Tech loses to UVA and loses to Kentucky in the Belk Bowl, kind of leading to this 2020 season, now affected by a COVID pandemic, in which we didn't really know what to make of 2019. We get to this year, Virginia Tech loses a North Carolina game early in the year, and everybody looked at it and said, you know what, Virginia Tech, you know, they lost God and everyone to COVID and on the defense, and we were willing to give Tech a pass at the time because North Carolina was perceived to be a very good football team. They are turning out to be a mediocre football team. Virginia Tech lost that game and gave up 56 points in the process, but we were all willing to give them a pass because the offense largely played well and the defense didn't really have a lot of guys available. Virginia Tech loses a game to Wake Forest two weeks ago as a double-digit favorite. The first of two losses as a double-digit favorite this year. That was two weeks ago. Virginia Tech beats Louisville and then loses to Liberty at home once again as a two-score favorite. This is totally unacceptable. Virginia Tech has now, under Justin Fuente, has far more notable losses, in my opinion, than notable wins. Very few notable wins. And and there's few, if any, notable wins, and we're stretching to find some. In addition, on a larger scale, and we can get into this too, on a larger scale, Virginia Tech, in my opinion, as an athletic department and as a football program, failed to capitalize on the best years that the program had in the early to mid-2000s. Virginia Tech had a really successful run in the ACC from 2004 to 2011. Multiple ACC championship appearances, multiple ACC championships, period. Multiple big-time bowl appearances. Virginia Tech had an opportunity throughout those years with Brian Randall and Tyrod Taylor, and you name them, right? Ryan Williams. Danny Cole, Logan Thomas, they had plenty of opportunities there in the early to mid-2000s to capitalize on the height of the football program at Virginia Tech. It all started in 99, and then Virginia Tech went on a prolonged run after that, and the program was really successful and had an opportunity to really build something sustainable in Blacksburg. They held on to Frank Beamer for too long. Let's call it what it is. Virginia Tech was a mediocre football program in the final three seasons of Frank Beamer's tenure in Blacksburg. They were not a very good team. It was seven win. It was seven win seasons down the pipe. You could see that the program was starting to deteriorate a bit, and Virginia Tech was not keeping up with the recruiting of the rest of the ACC. And what we've seen since Justin Fuente has took over, we've seen Fuente capitalize on some talented players that Frank Beamer recruited in his final couple of years in Blacksburg. But really, he rode the back of Gerard Evans in year one, who was a one-year JUCO transfer quarterback at Virginia Tech. Without Gerard Evans, we're looking at this entire tenure of Justin Fuente in a lot different light than we're looking at it right now. And right now, it's not very good. Virginia Tech needs to figure it out from a donor standpoint. I don't know how they're going to do that now. I think that path is too far gone. They're in a really, really tough situation. It's a chicken before the egg. They have to win games before people are going to donate. People aren't going to donate to a coach they don't believe in. 
and Virginia Tech is tied to this coach through at least the end of next season because they can't afford the buyout to pay him. It is a dire situation in Blacksburg. It's not going to get better anytime soon. And we can talk about ways that Justin Fuente can try to remedy the issue in the near term, but it's hard to really instill any confidence in Fuente and this coaching staff at this point because we've seen far more negative results than positive results. Well, and excuse me here because I'm going to make a uh, a corny Colin Coward-esque metaphor, but in, in life and in business and in sports, it's important to stay on the cutting edge. It's important to stay ahead of the curve. You know, you guys remember when we were kids, right? We would, what would you do on a Friday night, Thursday night with your parents? You'd head out to Blockbuster. There was a Blockbuster in every town, tens of thousands throughout the country. Blockbuster was one of the most successful businesses in America. It, it earned its owner enough money to go out and buy the Miami Marlins and the Miami Dolphins. You could also get DVDs delivered to your house via Netflix. Virginia Tech at that time was Blockbuster. Virginia Tech had 10 win seasons left and right. And when the Netflixes of the world came along, the Clemsons with their cutting edge strategies to engage the fan base and turn the fan base, even at the lowest level, into a donor base was kind of like Netflix mailing out DVDs and starting streaming services. Virginia Tech, like Blockbuster, kind of looked at what they were doing and said, look how well we're doing. What could go wrong? Why would we change our model when it's working? But they didn't change. And that's why we can blame Justin Fuente because this Justin Fuente experiment clearly isn't working out to the extent that, I mean, like we said, in years one and year two, you had national publications putting out articles about how seamless the transition from legendary coach Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente was. Everything was howdy doody. He was the best. Whit Babcock was an absolute genius. Look what he did. He brought in Buzz Williams and Justin Fuente. He might go be the AD at Texas next. Who knows? That didn't work. Blockbuster's dead. Blockbuster's gone. Blockbuster's a relic. But Virginia Tech is now stuck in a position where you can look at these things objectively. You can look at results. And I know it's been fun. And Virginia Tech fans always like to do, do most wins since 1999, most interceptions since 1999, most sacks since 1999. You're cherry picking an interesting year there, the year that we went to the national championship and sparked a decade and a half or a little bit more than a decade of success. But since 2012, what differentiates Virginia Tech from Pittsburgh? What differentiates Virginia Tech from Boston College? A couple wins here, a couple wins there. That's what worries me, gentlemen, is, I mean, you look at a team like Michigan and you swing and a miss once, hire a new coach, swings and a miss. Now you have Harbaugh losing three games in a row and are they going to try again? And I just want to know, I mean, we're, we're stuck with Fuente, but what is, in your opinion, the more feasible path forward to get Virginia Tech back to that level of success? That level of success being, I mean, Virginia Tech fans expect a lot, and sometimes they harp on years like, you know, 2004 through 2011 a little too much, but I think reasonably Virginia Tech fans expect top 20 ranking at the end of the season, and to be in competition for a division championship every year. I, I think that's fair. What is the more feasible path to that? Is it Justin Fuente or is it making a move? Because at the end of the day, especially if Fuente sits here as a lame duck coach, 
He hasn't been able to recruit recently. How the hell is he going to be able to recruit now? And that means that whoever coach next is, is going to inherit a mediocre roster, at least based on recruiting standards, a program with, with a rabid fan base that they saw push out a coach who minus that one season, I mean, his win totals have been terrible. His overall record is better than Beamer's overall record in the last four years. And we're talking about pushing him out. What kind of coach would want to go there and inherit, you know, what we assume would be two years down the line, one year down the line, a very sticky situation in Blacksburg where expectations might be higher than a, than reasonable reality. The, the best route for Virginia tech to get back to where they want to be, which is, being a genuine and legitimate competitor for an ACC championship is through another head coach. Um, the problem with this is that this is not, not a realistic scenario for the foreseeable future. And therefore, I don't think it's really worth talking about right now. Um, we can sit here and handicap potential coaching candidates and talk about um, what teams that, you know, you, Virginia Tech should maybe try and poach an assistant off of or whatever, but that's that's not worth discussing at the moment. Um, the The only thing that's going to get Virginia Tech back to a reasonable level of competition is Justin Fuente making some serious changes that he may not want to make. Um, and these are changes that may need to be dictated to him by his boss, Whit Babcock. Um, Jersey Hokie on Twitter, who is a friend of the pod and um, has been a, a, a good friend on Twitter for me for a few years now, posed a question to us and talked about what are the five specific things that Justin Fuente needs to do in order to get this team turned around and get this program turned around. And I actually have, I think, five pretty concrete actions that I think could make a, a legitimate difference. Um, in the short term, I think they need to move on from Tracy Clays. Uh, Clays has added absolutely nothing to this def to this uh, defensive coaching staff. Uh, Rayshard Ashby has regressed mightily under his watch. Dax Hollyfield has not improved. Alan Tisdale has been way too inconsistent at at uh, backer and has often found himself or found himself the reason. Virginia Tech is allowing these massive plays in the run game. So I, I think I would ask Tracy Clays for his keys. I would also reassign Justin Hamilton. Uh, I would remove him from the defensive coordinator position. This experiment is clearly not working. I understand that he was endorsed by Bud Foster. I understand that he's an up-and-coming guy who has some serious leadership potential. But when you actually consider the results that we're getting on the field, Justin Hamilton's defense is not performing up to an ACC level. Um, so that's something to, to seriously consider. I think that they need to put Bill Tierlink at defensive coordinator uh, for the remainder of Justin Fuente's tenure. This is a guy who has NFL experience. The defensive line has by far been the best unit of this defense so far this season. I think that he could actually make somewhat of a difference in terms of the defense being prepared, the defense being in position, and maybe just maybe this can all of a sudden become a mediocre unit. In the long term, there are three things that I think Justin Fuente needs to 
take seriously or seriously consider if he wants to get the ship turned around. Number one, he needs to reboot entirely alumni relations. The football relations, or excuse me, the alumni relations with the football program have been in a bad spot for multiple years. I have spoken with multiple alums of the football program. They do not feel connected to this football program whatsoever. There is kind of a growing um, distrust from some of the alumni of this current staff. They do not feel welcome. This is something that Justin Fuente needs to take very seriously. I don't know what the specific answer is to reboot alumni relations. I believe it involves getting former players in on the staff to help make a difference. Pearson Prelo, I think, would be a guy that could help make a difference. He's already on staff. Perhaps Justin Hamilton could take on a serious role here. But Virginia Tech's alumni relations in terms of the football program are kind of in tatters. And to be quite honest, it's rather embarrassing. Um, number two, a specific staff member or coach needs to be hired specifically and entirely focused on the evaluation and development of Virginia recruits. I understand the argument that there is plenty of out-of-state talent to be had for Virginia Tech to recruit. However, when you are consistently getting your ass kicked in the state of Virginia by multiple programs, and you are unable to recruit at even a decent level in your own home state, that is going to hurt you on multiple fronts, not only with the fans, but with your own alumni, most of whom are Virginia players. And it's also just gonna hurt you on the football field because you've got Virginia guys making plays at Power Five programs across the country. Even Karon Prunty, who was not even a top 20 prospect in Virginia, ended up signing with Kansas, is one of the, lead, the, the leaders in the nation in pass breakups as a cornerback of Kansas. So there's just something to think about. And lastly, I think Justin Fuente needs to take a serious and more in-depth, hands-on role in Hendon Hooker's development. And I understand that this is going to go against what Justin Fuente believes in, which is Brad Cornelson is the only guy he wants coaching his, cornerback, his quarterbacks. But Hendon Hooker needs to take the next step. I understand that Hendon Hooker has been a pretty damn good quarterback for Virginia Tech in his career. That being said, Hendon has not developed, fully developed into what he can be. There are still glaring deficiencies in Hendon's game. And I think Justin Fuente needs to take more ownership of that because quite honestly, a absolute dynamite difference maker at quarterback is Virginia Tech's best chance of taking on a team like Clemson and actually maybe coming out on top. So. Those are my five specific actions. We can talk about maybe some accomplishments that Fuente needs in order to satisfy this fan base and justify sticking around. But um, those are five actions that I would actually have him take uh, if I were uh, in his ear. Well, 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 first of all, I kind of want to attack some of these one by one, right? And, yeah. and individually, the first thing that I think about is when you talk about the demotion of Justin Hamilton. Now, by all indications, we, we know he has the Bud Foster endorsement, like you said, very well liked by the players. But the situation as it was, and we I think we probably talked about this at the time, was that here we are going to 2020, a season where Justin, one day, 
had a roster that he was, and he doesn't usually do this, he was openly like boisterous about he was talking about its potential. I have a very talented team and he does actually have a pretty talented team. We can't deny that. We've seen the team when it's at full throttle, which is why it's even more kind of disappointing when the school could have gone out and tried to poach an experienced defensive coordinator. You know, we talked about, and his name escapes me, but the man who was just fired as the head coach of Missouri. Barry Odom. Barry Odom, yes, correct. Who was Fuente's defense coordinator at Memphis, ends up going on to Missouri, you know, tough times in the SEC, gets canned, it happens. He's probably still a pretty good defensive coordinator. He's got experience. He's led a program. You could go get, there's a number of guys like that, people who have really done it before. The decision to go with a guy in Justin Hamilton, who, yes, he played in the Foster system, but a little bit of experience as defensive coordinator at UVA Wise, and then moving on to VMI, going into a player personnel role for one year at Tech, then moving on to a safety role for one year at Tech, does not seem like the ideal candidate to hire in a season where you know that you have all this potential and that kind of the eyes of the fan base and more importantly, like, and again, the fan base is important, but the donor base is much more important than the fan base. The donor base decides your future. And when the donor base is making that evaluation, you choose to go with an inexperienced guy. And I know COVID was probably the worst possible case scenario for him. We can't take that away because a lot of time that these guys would have spent learning under him and a lot of time that he would have been able to kind of learn on the job was taken away from him. But with that being said, even in a normal season, it's that's a questionable move at best. And you know, more than midway through the season here, he seems to be in over his head. Would you guys kind of agree with that statement? Yeah, I, I would. And the one thing, and, and first of all, Ricky, I think you're spot on. I think Hamilton needs to be reassigned and people are going to listen to this and say, oh my God, you, some people are going to say, oh my God, you guys are reacting. No, we're not. I, I think Fuente's biggest problem through all of this, and I don't know how much of this has to do with the fact that they just couldn't, flat out couldn't afford Barry Odom, because I think that possibility is certainly on the table. But I think one thing to note here is that, and it could be the reason why Justin Fuente ultimately doesn't end up working out in Blacksburg, is that he hired far too many coaches who had great potential and not great experience. And we could start with Justin Hamilton right at the top there as a guy who's got great potential by all indications. We can talk about Ryan Smith. Uh, We can talk about uh, Daryl Tapp. We can talk about all these guys. Bill Tierlink, I know he's had NFL coaching experience, so he's kind of the outlier. And I know Tracy Clays is coach. Far Williams. Yeah, but there's just too many. There are too many situations here where Virginia Tech is hiring guys at key on key roles on their staff on both sides of the football that really don't have a ton of experience. And you're going off of potential, and you're hoping to hit a home run with a bunch of young coaches who appeal to the recruiting trail. I can understand the recruiting standpoint of it because you got to do something to shake it up and you got to do something to recruit better. But so much of this is about player development. That's the type of program Virginia Tech is at the end of the day. It's just a, it's a player development type program. Virginia Tech is never, has never really recruited within the top 20 of the country. They've been consistently in that 20 to 30 range. And a lot of folks are saying on social media over the summer, 
we're saying, oh, Virginia Tech, they just got to get in the top 20. They have to have a top 20 recruiting class. It's like, yeah, easier said than done. This program has never done that. They've always been in that 20 to 30 range. It's historically been a player development program under Frank Beamer. And sure, some guys have developed well under Justin Fuente. A lot of guys haven't. And we're seeing, we're seeing the results of that when Virginia Tech's losing games to Liberty and Wake Forest and bad Georgia Tech and a terrible Duke team last year in a blowout fashion. Like we're seeing kind of the, the fruits of that being bared out. And I, I think that Virginia Tech is in a tough spot because the, the coaches that you could potentially make a change with or you would look at on the defensive side of the ball to potentially make a change with, most of them just got here. Most of them were just hired. And Virginia Tech is in a tough spot from that standpoint, number one. But number two, like, you can't – there's no easy fix here. Like, they they had an opportunity to get a big-time defensive coordinator hire, and instead they hired a guy who had been on the staff for two years as a former player. And I get that Justin Hamilton has a bright future. I'm sure he does. I, you know, he's well-spoken. He's, he's a good guy, but he's in over his head, guys. Like, he is not ready for the role that he's in. Replacing what Bud Foster, you go with at the third end of the Liberty game was unconscionable. They and everybody's talking about the timeout, and I, I will need to get into all the details of the game. But having it fourth, having it be fourth and six, and playing thirty yards off the ball with your corners with eight seconds left, and having Malik Willis throw a quick pass out to the left side to set up a closer field goal for from fifty-one yards, being in prevent defense is absolutely insane it's just horrible coaching and there are so many aspects of this game in particular that were bungled but it all comes down to the simple fact that this team is no longer well prepared under Justin Fuente there have been too many games where they've shown up they've rolled the helmets out there and they haven't been ready to play you can blame COVID you can blame whatever you want but this has been a consistent issue. It's not just this year. It's been in years past. You talk about the Syracuse game in year one that he lost. He lost to a Georgia Tech team that had a backup, backup quarterback in it, backup center in Blacksburg. He lost uh, the following year on the road in Atlanta to a team he should have beaten. He got blown out at home against Georgia Tech two years ago in a game he should have won on a Thursday night. There have been a lot of losses to Georgia Tech. You have the loss to Duke last year. You have the Wake Forest and Liberty losses this year. Guys, like this can't, this can't fly anymore. We're, we're, we're done. We're done with this. This is something that is not going to get better, but the issue is that it's not going to get better because under Justin Fuente, number one, but number two, because they're not going to be able to replace him anytime soon. And the guys who you think about replacing on the defensive staff just got here. You're going to be paying a lot of buyouts guys, a lot of buyouts. And I'm not sure that the athletic department is ready for that aspect of things either. Yeah, well, here's an interesting comparison I'll make with Justin Fuente and kind of the point we've gotten to. My my boss on the radio at ESPN Lifesburg, Paul Van Wagner, he is a native of the state of Michigan and and a big Michigan fan. And coming into the year, so ignore everything that's happened this year with Michigan football, coming into the year, me and my producers, a great friend of mine, my roommate, I'm literally currently in his room, Nathan Brennan, asked Paul, (laughs) Why are you so content with Jim Harbaugh? He is the fifth highest paid coach in the country, and you guys are never finishing in the top 10. You lose three to five games per year, and, you know, that's not what you're paying him for. And he goes, well, you know, we're we're losing to 
Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. And those, and those are stout competition teams to beat. And we, we came from a low point, so we're just working our way back up. And with Justin Fuente, you know, make that similar comparison. We paid Justin Fuente, off the top of my head, I don't really know, but I think it's around the 22nd to 25th highest salary in all of major college football for a head coach. We know, and we have talked at length at this podcast, and people who know this program and understand the way that college football works understands that when Clemson has X amount of money, that's four times as much as Virginia Tech, it's hard to expect Virginia Tech to beat Clemson. But that's not what Justin Fuente is being criticized for. If the argument is resources and money and, and support staff and all this stuff, yeah, that's fine. You might not beat Penn State. You might not beat Clemson, but you sure as hell should be beating Wake Forest. And you're really sure as hell should be beating Liberty and Old Dominion. And if it happens once, we can shrug our heads and say, it's college football. There's upsets. But when it happens, what is it, five times that Virginia Tech has lost to a, a team where they were double-digit favorites in the game? Yeah. Five times that Virginia Tech lost as the ranked team to an unranked opponent. At that point, you have the resources that are greater than your opponents. And as such, so is it a matter of development of talent? Maybe to an extent, right? But it really sometimes looks like a lack of preparation. And, and it's hard to say because there are times when I watch Justin Fuente coach a game and I say, you are, this is a, you know, this is a great game plan. The offense is being run smoothly, this, that, and the other. Like it's proven that when it works, it works. But how many times do we have to say that Virginia Tech is a great team off after, you know, bouncing back from a loss? We shouldn't be losing this often. There shouldn't be that many data points for this. Like, so it's who does Virginia Tech need to be? And in terms of that, obviously, good programs, programs that are historically greater than Virginia Tech, see Penn State, see Florida State, see Nebraska, see Michigan at a time, have had their falls from grace. But it's a slippery slope. And it's hard to get back to the point where you were at, especially when you're a team like Virginia Tech who has fewer resources. And like, you know, I don't expect Florida State to be down for long. But if Virginia Tech goes really downhill, this could be a very long-term rebuild. And I don't think anyone wants to see that. So this ship needs to be righted. And Ricky, I think that you hit that nail on the head. But going back to Paul for a second, he said something along the lines of, and he said it multiple times, that Justin Fuente cares more about being right, about his philosophy being right, than he cares about ultimate execution in the end. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? I don't know. I mean, I think Justin Fuente has been stubborn at times throughout his tenure, for sure. Um, there are a couple... Um, a couple instances that come to mind, most notably the reluctance to go to Hendon Hooker twice in his uh, in his tenure in Blacksburg, which both of those just absolutely blew my mind. Um, there have been plenty of times where I've thought Fuente's been on the right end of things, uh, especially with a lot of these these transfers uh, or dismissals. I mean, the the Mook Reynolds incident, the Adonis Alexander. Uh, academic issues, the Trayvon Hill incident, 
I all the knowledge that I have available to me, Justin Fuente was on the right side of those things, but there's still way too many data points when it comes to Justin Fuente's tenure at Virginia Tech that point to it being unsuccessful. And most of those data points are where it matters, and that's on the field. Um, and we've we've reached the point where Justin Fuente kind of is a lame duck head coach. Um, the the fan base clearly does not want Justin around. I mean, if you I, I've, I've said it here before in the podcast, Twitter is not real life, but it is a part of real life. If you go on on Virginia Tech Twitter, man, it's a it's a bloodbath. Some of it's intelligent and some of it's informed and some of it's kind of deranged, but the consensus is pretty clear that people are just, just about had it with Justin Fuente. Um, there it's very difficult to find a vocal supporter of him at this point. Um, and that's kind of reasonable considering what's going on. Um, I don't know what your guys' opinion on some of the other suggestions that I brought up. Uh, whether it be focusing in heavily on alumni relations, trying to reboot in-state recruiting. I mean, is there, are there any, any other items that Justin Fuente can seriously address at this point to try and turn the product around on and off the field? I think they're all good points. And I think those, that's the short list. The problem is that I think this, the ship's sail on alumni relations, I think, under Fuente. Yeah, and, that's, and that's the you, issue. You definitely could be right, but I think he's he's and to be honest, the ship could have sailed on all these things, right? Right. Yeah. Totally. But, <laughs> totally. But, but but these are the things that I've that I think he he has to at least these are his last ditch efforts. Yeah, it's a hail mary effort on all of yeah. these, definitely. And yeah, I, I agree with you. And this, yeah, I wasn't saying that to shoot that down at all because I totally agree with you 100. percent I just don't you know, specifically for alumni relations. I mean, we talked about the debacle at the Duke game last year, right? Both on the field and off of it. I mean, Virginia Tech was celebrating the 1999, the 20 year anniversary of the 99 team that went to the national championship. And there was that story out there that Fuente didn't address any of those guys when they were all together. Like, that's just such an easy, like, alley-oop, like, <laughs> yeah. put it home. And he yeah. just didn't do it. And he said he didn't have a chance to talk to those guys. That is just, I mean, I, that's inexcusable. Does, it's does totally it, inexcusable. Does it seem like at times Justin Fuente doesn't, maybe it, I, I, I don't want to say doesn't understand, but or, or just chooses not to partake in the fact that in being the head coach, it's like being the president of the university or the CEO of the company. Like you obviously do have to manage the nitty gritty of the inside of the operation, but also at times because there is no one to look to but you. We're not gonna look to Divine Diablo as the ambassador of this program because Divine Diablo, like any other player is in, he gets his four or five years and then he's out and he's just like the rest of them. When you're the head coach, you are supposed to be that stability, that that leader that guides the program in the long term. And as such, you are the ambassador. And it seems like, and, and maybe it's not his personality. And I'm not saying that this stuff impacts on-field performance, but 
it, it feels like he does to an extent in recruiting. You think so? Yeah, I do. Um, there was a report. I don't remember the exact source, but when Demetrius Davis decommitted from Virginia Tech, one of the, I guess, factors that was taken into account for Demetrius was Virginia Tech apparently told him that he was going to have a relationship with Michael Vick and that it would be a relationship that Demetrius could kind of fall back on and, and use as a bit of a mentorship. And apparently that relationship never came to fruition. Now, we don't know the entire details of the situation, but it would seem like Virginia Tech doesn't have that great of a relationship with Michael Vick, who is the greatest player to come out of the program in school history. Um, we saw in 2016 when Virginia Tech was recruiting Devin Hunter that they had that relationship with Cam Chancellor. And Cam Chancellor, who obviously was, I believe, in some way related to Devin Hunter. I, I don't remember the exact details of the familial connection there. But Cam Chancellor was definitely a, a role model for Devin Hunter. And Cam Chancellor was heavily leveraged in that recruitment. And that was a huge reason why Devin Hunter signed. We are not seeing that at this point. When you have alumni who are from across the state, from my area in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and Hampton and Newport News and Williamsburg, and you have people from Richmond and you have people from Southwest Virginia, all those people that have connections to the program, if they're not feeling like they are welcome, then they're going to be a whole hell of a lot less likely to start recommending their alma mater to kids that they may see on Friday nights. Back to the point of recruiting though, like I, I think we have to acknowledge a couple of factors that play into this. And the first being, and this will be more of a, you know, benefit of the doubt to Justin Fuente, Virginia Tech, Southwest Virginia, Blacksburg, Virginia, it is not necessarily close to anything, right? Like, yeah. when, like Ricky, you'd probably be here for games a lot more and hanging out with me if the 757 wasn't five hours away. Same thing for you, Mike. If Northern Virginia and parts of it weren't five hours away, it'd probably be easier for you to make but that But those trip. kids used to come do it anyway. That's true. That is very good. I mean, Virginia Tech used to be a staple in this area. And for one reason or another, this area is becoming less and less tied to in-state schools and more so Virginia Tech because I am seeing a lot more love in this area for UVA than I'm seeing for Virginia Tech. And obviously that, that scares the living hell out of me. But um, this is, all of these issues are tied together. This is all one big woven quilt of problems and they're all interrelated. They're all connected to each other. They all stem from each other and they all cause one another. And we have reached the point where it's gonna be really difficult to get out of this. And I think that that's what we keep coming back to because surprise folks, Virginia Tech still has games on the schedule. Like Miami is coming to town in a few days. Does anyone have any confidence that Virginia Tech is going to win that game? I mean, we're not going to preview the Miami game today. We'll do that later in the week. But does anyone have any inkling of, of, of hope that the Hokies are going to pull that game out? 
The people who make the books in Las Vegas, my friend. Yep. Yeah. I, whoever the hell made the early line minus two Virginia Tech has absolutely lost their damn minds. I would, if I was a bet man, I would have bet that immediately and then started figuring out what I was going to spend that money on because it was a guaranteed win. Uh, I mean, again, it's 2020 in college football, so I'll never say anything is a guaranteed win. But at the end of the day, I mean, going back to your point about recruiting, Ricky, like, and yes, these things all stem from each other. And yes, Virginia Tech used to be able to bring in recruits from all over the state of Virginia. And I'll give one point that is kind of in defense of Fuente and one point that is, you know, adamantly kind of against him. The first is that, you know, times were a lot different in 2005 than they are in 2020. Recruiting wasn't as nationally based. Every single player with any smidge of talent was in camps from the time they were in eighth grade. And as such, it was much easier for a recruit to fly under the radar and as such into Frank Beamer's arms than it is now. You didn't have the Penn State's and, and even the, like, you know, you said Kansas going for someone. And that's the disgrace that Kansas got someone in Virginia that maybe Virginia Tech wanted. But on the other side, recruiting is a lot about relationships, especially in this state. You know, there is not exactly because Virginia Tech's kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's, I, I don't venture to say there's a ton of Commonwealth pride towards Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has a large and diverse alumni base and fan base, but it's not like Alabama where everyone's just either Alabama or Auburn. And it's a diehard relationship. You know what I mean? So what Frank Beamer had was two things, the ability to at that time go into a recruit's living room, talk to their mom and, and be that trustworthy guy that says, I'll take care of your son out, you know, four or five hours away in Blacksburg for the next few years. Playing for me will help give him an opportunity for a better life and maybe a shot at the NFL. Look at my track record. And on top of that, Frank Beamer and his staff had relationships up and down the board with coaches at high schools all over the Commonwealth. And I don't think we see that anymore. And on top of that, the last four years of the Beamer era combined with what's gone on recently Virginia Tech, you know, kids are 18 years old. They don't care what happened in 2011. They certainly don't care what happened in 2004 or 1999. Absolutely. The prestige, the prestige is there. And in the eyes of a Virginia Tech fan base, especially those of us who are under the age of 40, the vast majority of our memories are going to be Virginia Tech, a consistent 10-win team. Virginia Tech, a team that entered the ACC and was a contender, if not the champion, every single year. But it hasn't been like that recently, and we can't pretend that it has. So it, it's kind of been the perfect storm, but that's when, when things go downhill in that regard and everything's going against you. Building relationships is so important. And what I've seen recently from this staff, in some years it's worked, for the example of, uh, the 2000, I believe, 17 class that brought us uh, Trey Turner and Dax Hollyfield and, and a couple of head hooker, a couple of very talented players. Or if you look at the failures of 2020 and what looks to be 2021, they've gone out of state and said, we can pick and choose recruits from other places. Being from Virginia isn't the be all end all. No, it's not. 
and you can get great recruits from other places. But you better be sure that if you think something's a pipeline, it's actually a pipeline because what's closest to you, what's in with that 300 mile radius of you is always going to be your best bet. And you can't give up on that. And I think that to an extent, that's what we've seen. They've definitely deprioritized in-state recruiting. And I guess the, the, the hope is that Daryl Tapp will be able to make some inroads there, given that he's from my area. He understands all of these, these coaches and, and just gets it. Um, the best recruiter that Virginia Tech has ever had was Jim Cavanaugh. Um, I think that that's pretty undebatable. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing Cav and Cav talked about how the way that you, the way that you recruit is developing those relationships. And they're not things that you can just half-ass. You have to get in there, get your hands dirty, talk to these kids. You have to go to these schools when you don't even want to recruit any of their kids. It, it's all about showing that you are there. You are the school for them. And just based upon strictly results from what we've seen, Virginia Tech is not doing that in Virginia, and they're not supplementing their in-state struggles with the enough out-of-state talent. So, again, this is all connected. They're, they're struggling in recruiting. I, got, I took a ton of hits on social media and in my DMs about criticizing Virginia Tech's recruiting efforts and – Folks, I tried to tell you it was gonna it was gonna materialize on the field. Um, that's exactly what it's doing right now. Virginia Tech just does not have the Jimmys and the Joes, and they sure as heck do not have the X's and the O's. And if you don't have either one of those, you're in trouble. Uh, Ricky, I I want to go back to something you said earlier when you said, you know, Twitter isn't real life, but it's a part of real life, and I agree with that. And I, I've always kind of viewed Twitter as a stream of consciousness, you know, it, 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 and it's true in life, in, in politics, we've seen politicians who people thought were absolute toasts, who then something happens here, something happens there, and they come back from the dead. It's all what's going on in people's minds, and people's minds are always able to change. And I think, in my opinion, this Liberty game is greater than the vitriol, if greater, if not only equal to the vitriol we saw after the Duke game. And we had a yeah. similar podcast to this after the Duke game. However, we know what happened after the Duke game last year. They go out, they beat Miami, they go on a run, they have a couple good wins in a row, they finish slow, if not close. But ultimately, questions of Will Justin Fuente get fired at the end of the season turned into a January conversation about a team that had just gone to a New Year's Six Bowl trying to poach him. Now, I know there's that that much time left, but in the short term, what does Justin Fuente need to do to turn the tide of public opinion back towards his favor? Because I don't know if there's anything he can do to turn it completely back in his favor. I don't know if at the end of the year, you're going to do a poll that says, is Justin Fuente the right man to lead this program in the long term and get greater than 50% that say yes. But how do you right. get him out of the complete doghouse? Because that's where he is today. What can he do yeah. the rest of the season? Yeah. So the, the, the one thing you mentioned about the similar vitriol right now to 
that that we saw after the Duke game last year. That's completely right. The difference is that what needed to change was obvious last year. Virginia Tech didn't have a quarterback, right? That was clear. There was at least a step one. It was, okay, let's make a switch of quarterback. What I mean, the issues that Virginia Tech's having right now on the defensive side of the ball are at every level. This isn't something like, oh, yeah, let's just plug in one guy here, then everything will be fixed. That's, that's not – the fix is not as easy this year. It's just not. I mean, Virginia Tech returned a majority of their starters on defense. Tech misses Caleb Farley a lot. They miss some of these guys who, you know, they missed Jermaine Waller when, when he was hurt for most of the early part of the year, and he's been kind of real banged up. They've, they've missed some guys, but, like, there's no way to just look at the defensive side of the football right now and be like, you know what, that's the fix right there, and it's on the roster right now because it's not. Virginia Tech needs to get more athletic at linebacker. How often have we talked about that on this podcast? Virginia Tech doesn't have a linebacker right now who can step right in and replace Ashby or Tisdale or Dax Hollyfield, and you can slide it to the lineup and say, you know what, that's the fix. That's, that's step one to getting this fix on defense. They don't have it on the roster right now. Ricky talking about how um, the recruiting and the struggles in recruiting were going to show up on the field. I didn't expect it to show up this soon, but it already is. And the, the, the part that's upsetting about all this is that a lot of the guys who aren't playing right, well right now are guys who have been in the program for a while, especially on the defensive side of the football. That's a big issue because you know the guys behind them are not as highly recruited as the guys who are playing right now, which can only mean one thing, fellas. If you don't develop these players to an extent where every single one of them hits, there is no way that the defense is going to improve next year or the following year at the very least. And the problem that Virginia Tech has is that some of their key contributors on the defensive side of the football, guys who have been on this roster and have been productive players for them and are at least playing mediocre football this fall, are all going to be gone very soon. Caleb Farley's already out the door. Jermaine Waller's a likely NFL draft pick. Rayshard Ashby's a senior, and he may come back next year, but he might bolt as well. Guys are guys are – who are key contributors, Justice Reed, a defensive end. Amari Barno is his time. I mean, he's developed quickly into a very good defense. His time is ticking. He's not going to stick around. His time's ticking. He's not going to stick around. I'm not talking about just graduations and, and guys going to the league. I'm talking about transfers too. Because you anyone want to stick around with this? Any, anyone with a degree can leave. Yep. And go somewhere I, else. And, and fellas, here's another thing to consider. Remember, all of these – eligibility is basically not a thing this year. So right. guys can basically get another year for free. Yep. Um, what's stopping Raheem Blackshear from leaving, a guy who's been criminally underutilized so far this year? Um, what's stopping a guy like Trey Turner from leaving, a guy who's been criminally, criminally underutilized and not developed? And so, frankly, just – not featured in the offense even close to the amount that he should be. I mean, in, in reality, I mean, that's, and, and you know, if, you if don't, you can't blame, see, you can't, you can't blame like a guy like Damon Hazleton, but Damon Hazleton left because he figured that his talents could be a better use somewhere else. Yeah. Like I mean, you don't want to be a blocking wide receiver all the time. Why would these guys stick around if they're getting the sense that this coaching staff is, just a bunch of zombies 
and that they're that they're on their way out and that things aren't going to get any better. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they will. I'm saying it's a possibility. I know Trey Turner has been a vocal advocate for his, his teammates and Virginia tech. And he is by all accounts been one of the biggest Hokies out there and he is a team leader, but at some point these guys have to make decisions that are best for themselves. So business decisions. I'm not, I'm not going to fault them. I'm not sitting here saying it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm trying to at least put that out there to make sure people are aware that if you have a, a coach who is in a lame duck setting and a coach that is basically just waiting for his, his buyout number to go down because that that's kind of the feeling we're getting here. Um, why would you tack yourself onto that? Yeah. And then the one other per the one other player that we didn't even mention, who's been one of the best running backs in the country this year is Khalil Herbert. You know, he's not going to be here past this season. He has nothing, he has nothing to gain by playing another year of college yeah, football. He, Everything that he had to gain, he has already. Yeah. He has nothing left to prove. I'd be yeah. shocked if Khalil Herbert wasted another year of his legs in the college level, uh, which yeah. is a shame because Khalil Herbert will not play a game in front of a sold out lane stadium, which is just a damn shame to, when you consider he's one of the best running backs of the last 20 years to put on a Virginia tech uniform. Um, which is why I need to put out this public service announcement. If anyone has access to three tickets to these Virginia tech limited attendance games, please contact <laughs> the boys over at the Hokie podcast because I actually would really like to see that in person at least one time, even if it's against Clemson and we get a, uh, well, actually, that'd be double entendre because I get to see the greatest uh, college quarterback since Tim Tebow, Trevor Lawrence, play. That'd be pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what can Virginia Tech do in the near term? They can start by trying to beat Miami on Saturday. <laughs> That's what they can do. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know the, much past that. I don't know what you do. We'll we'll get into that in the next month. The prospects of that happening are slim to none, and I think Slim just walked out the door. So – um, Virginia Tech is likely staring at a situation where they're once again clawing their way to six wins. Um, Pittsburgh just woke up and knocked the doors off of Florida State. Virginia is all of a sudden looking like a competent offense with Brennan Armstrong returning from a concussion. Clemson is Clemson. Their backup quarterback throws for 80 million yards and 15,000 touchdowns. Um, Miami Derek King has thoroughly impressed me this season. Rhett Lashley has done a fantastic job. Um, I want to talk about him specifically on that on the next pod, but the schedule is not easy, folks. And um, Virginia Tech is certainly trending in the wrong direction relative to the remaining teams on their schedule. Um, so I'm not sure what else more we can say at this point other than um, – these are the doldrums. <laughs> this is this is kind of like football purgatory in the sense that um, you you haven't quite reached rock bottom yet, but you're really close and you're kind of hovering around there, and you don't know when you're going to go get to go up again. You know, I I think I'll close on this note, and just for our listeners, you know, it, it's funny for me because I mean, this is what I do, like literally all day. I just talk on the radio about Virginia Tech football and then come hang out with these guys and do it for the podcast and read stuff and watch the games and talk to people within the program. And 
talk to people, not, not only within, within the program, but you know, people around the program, fans. And it's funny because the experience of being a Virginia Tech fan over the past four years, five years, six years, what have you, basically since that slight downturn has been an absolute roller coaster, an absolute roller coaster that, you know, it, like th this team might be the world to you. It's the world to me. And it's, and it is the centerpiece of a lot of the community I surround myself with, but it, it, it's crazy how Virginia Tech football is not ever going to get on the national shows. It, it, it's such a, a small thing, but it's a big thing to us. So if you don't like the negative tone of this, trust me, we don't want it to be negative. We want it, We want to come back and we win the rest of the games and beat Clemson or something. And be like, wow, we were wrong. But it's the roller coaster nature of this. I mean, two before the Wake Forest game, I muttered words on this podcast that Justin Fuente was in the running for National Coach of the Year because in that small sample size, that wasn't a bad take. That was a take that actually had gotten on national platforms. But again, it's the ups and the downs. And, you know, you fear the past being prologue, like I said. And against Liberty, the past was prologue. But if the past is prologue, it seems that time and time again, after a bad loss throughout its history, Virginia Tech Hokies football team comes back and beats Miami. So hopefully that happens. And we'll preview that soon. Ricky, you got any last thoughts for us, man? Advisory note, I put this out on Twitter. I'm going to put it out here on the podcast. Do not, and I repeat, do not tweet at players, coaches, or staffers. Or it recruits. Is, or recruits. It is not worth your time. They don't want to hear it. It's just going to make both of y'all miserable. I promise you, these coaches do not like stinking up the joint they do not like losing football games they do not like losing to yet another fbs program in the state of virginia um what you're doing is not helping anything um just you can spew all the all the anger you want on twitter you can criticize the football team because lord knows i've been doing it now for a few days straight but just don't blow these guys dms up it's not worth it Go out, mow your lawn, go run around your court, drink a beer, just do something different. You, there's, there's plenty more production, productive things that you can do with your time rather than blowing these guys' DMs up. Um, so just, just, just don't do it. It, it. it ain't worth it, Chief. Remember, folks, they're really kind of just kids. It is what it is. I mean, no one wants to lose – one situation where you really can come at people and Ricky will agree with this, like with the, uh, the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, when we heard stories about Bruce Allen going to meetings drunk, yes, then you can personally attack the people. Or how they, they were um, basically using cheerleaders as escorts. Like, <laughs> isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that through all the chaos and, and ups and downs that our, our college, our alma mater, brings us on the football field our professional team just makes it look like uh like all candies and rainbows <laughs> like well i i no longer associate myself with that franchise so i don't have that problem anymore but lord knows i was uh an ardent supporter of an awful organization for quite some time um so 
Yeah, at least Virginia Tech's not involved in like some awful scandal like that because Lord knows this podcast would get really ugly really quick and um, we would be the most outspoken and most critical of the program of anyone. Uh, but it's just football. Don't let it ruin your day. Um, the first thing I did after Liberty's defeat on Saturday was I went out and did yard work. So just get out of your house. It ain't worth it. Get off the Twitter machine. Go drink a beer. Go drink two beers. Go. Ten beers, maybe. Who knows? Go, go watch Stone Cold Steve Austin reruns on YouTube. I don't care what the hell you're doing. Just go enjoy your life, man. Michael, you got any final words for the people? This has been a uh, this has been a big podcast for us. It's been a long, a one. long podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, and you know what? Just thank you to all of you, for- Andrew. We might as well record Mike saying that so we can add that to the end of every podcast because that's all Mike ever has to say. I know. Well, in radio, we have little sound clip buttons that you can just press on a computer and it plays. I I wish we had that here, right? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, folks, I mean, we really appreciate all of you listening. It it is uh, an honor and a privilege, obviously, to be able to just express our opinions because, you know, we just like to add to the discourse surrounding this program. And and that's what we're all about. We love the program and and we just want to, you know, follow it and talk about it. And that's what we do. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Like Mike said, rate, review, subscribe, go follow us on Twitter, go follow us on Facebook. That's a thing now. Yeah. You could do that now. Uh, yeah. And then tell your friends, if you like what you're listening to, tell your friends, Hoagie Hangover podcast, great Virginia tech podcast. We know there's a lot of them out there. We know you got a lot of options. We know a lot of you probably listen into multiple podcasts and we support all the other ones and we got great friends who, who run the other ones it's kind of a tight-knit community around here but we appreciate you personally for listening to the hokey Angler podcast we also appreciate main street pharmacy dr jeremy counts for making this podcast possible you know if you're in the new river valley area and this is an area i care about a lot i swear man if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you and truly cares about our community main street pharmacy south main street downtown blacksburg Dr. Jeremy Counts, take care of everything you need. Like I say in the beginning, we'll be back. Miami comes to town next Saturday. We'll preview it all later this week. Should be a fun one. We didn't really get into the X's and O's of the game against Liberty. Maybe we'll dive into that a little deeper as well because we kind of took a a macro view of all this today. Maybe we'll go a little more micro on Liberty, talk about Miami. A lot coming. This is supposed to be the game of the year. And and for Justin Fuente, I mean, again, it's really – really time to put up or shut up i think a win against miami would be a decent first step so we will see you guys then thanks for listening and as always go hope. Okay.